G'day ladies and gents and welcome back to the Unprofessionals podcast. This is Unpro number four, so we're finally ticking along here. Today we have John Coughlin, who is the creator and solo indie developer of games Roger Meatball and Cats Fly Helicopters, which is currently in alpha on Steam. And we're going to take a little bit of a, we'll have a little bit of a talk about uh, what's going on inside of the uh, the development side of things in our little section of the gaming community. So... How you doing, John? I'm doing great, thanks. Um, yeah, if you want to give us a little bit of a background on exactly what you do in detail, where where you come into all of this, and um, I think we're getting a little bit of feedback there too, Debmeet, as well. Uh, yeah. Yep. Are you sure? Hear, uh, a little bit of something. Are you sure? Are you sure you've just not got the streamer? <laughs> Uh, maybe it's entirely possible. This is nothing if not, uh, it's, no, it's, no, 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 that's no, uh, I should be muted. Or... No, I'm muted. I am muted. You I didn't muted. mess up this time, my fault. <laughs> um, are you guys still getting feedback? I can try muting my um, sound. I'm, I'm not getting feedback on my end, so um, possibly your microphone might be a little bit too sensitive. Okay. Uh, let me see what I can. Let me see if I can fix this. Sorry, I thought we had it all worked out beforehand. Uh, <laughs> it did. always happens when I start talking. That's all right. Unprofessionals podcast. That is the entire point of all of this. It is. It is laid back. It is perfectly fine. Um, and <laughs> if something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if something doesn't go wrong, then clearly we're not it's... doing it right. <laughs> So anyway, let's, let's let's just get into it because it's it's fine on my end. We'll work it out from there. All right, sounds good. Um, yep. Yeah. yeah. Would you guys like me to? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, just yeah, give, no, give go, us go, a rundown. What you do and yeah. Yeah. So you guys mentioned it. My name's John Coughlin. I'm an independent game developer. I live in uh, Madison, Wisconsin in the United States, mm -hmm. and I have been making games professionally for about two and a half years, um, and I was learning how to make games and making them sort of as an amateur, as a hobby, for maybe four years before that, and my professional background is in aerospace engineering. I have been an aerospace engineer in the... Uh, missile, rocket, and winged aircraft space for a decade now. And Ooh. my specialty when I was doing aerospace full-time was flight simulation. And so when I started making video games uh, professionally, the first thing that I got a paid gig for was um, making cats fly helicopters at a game that would turn into cats fly helicopters. And uh, from there... It seemed like the thing that I was best at or the thing that I had highest chance of uh, getting paid for was to make games about flight. Um, and I love, I love planes and I love flight in general, and I really like flight simulation. So, hmm. um, so I'm cool with that, and I'm sort of leaning into it now. Oh, very cool. The more people we can obviously get in the development space here is absolutely fantastic. Now, your games... 
they're an interesting mix. They do lean on both the game side, but they've got a heavy aspect of simulation behind it. So, uh, for example, Roger Meatball is essentially a game about landing on an aircraft carrier, which is nowhere near as easy as it seems. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, I just... Sorry. You go... <laughs> Sorry guys, I feel like I'm cutting you off. Um, yeah, my so my background is originally in uh, serious simulation, right? And um, I actually haven't, I had not started playing any of the modern serious flight sims, uh, like commercial flight sims or consumer flight sims, until I started making these games. Until I started making Cats Fly Helicopters, and then uh, eventually Roger Meatball. Uh, I had just been playing. I'd been playing a lot of uh, AAA games and a lot of indie video games for the past 10 years or so. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I had sort of uh, strayed away from flight simulation. And I always kind of felt that um, I felt as a player, if I was really honest with myself, I'd probably just only play flight simulations. And so it was uh, in, in wanting to learn about video games and the, um, the industry as a whole, I tried to I guess for a long time, I sort of forced myself to just not play any modern flight sims. Um, and then also to build up my skills as a developer, uh, the flight simulation space just didn't seem anywhere near as uh, popular or um, as, as rich of a place for potential employment to me uh, when I was first learning how to make games uh, because it's, it's way undersaturated compared to what it was in like the 90s or mm-hmm. really early 2000s. Um, yeah, so I, I tried to force myself to learn how to make video games that were outside of the flight space as well. Uh, and then it turned out that, um, that, you know, the, the best crossover of my personal experience and my specialty as a game developer, um, was not just making sort of generic video games, or I, I don't mean to say generic video games as if that's a bad thing, but, um, mm, it's sort of like the, the run of the the first person shooter kind of thing yeah i guess uh, yeah yeah i don't mean to yeah i definitely don't mean i don't mean to say generic in terms of the the games themselves being generic i i guess i mean generic in terms of my skills like i'm um i'm just so much better at making uh, a game about flight than i am (laughs) at making any other type of game um, and once I, once I realized that and, uh, and also realized that, uh, there, there was actually, a, a way for me to make money doing it. Um, it, it seemed pretty natural for me to dig into it. And yeah, that's, that's how I, that's how I got into cats fly helicopters and Roger meatball and mm-hmm. the, the sensibility that I have or the, um, my sort of design philosophy for games about flight is that um, I think I think that flight is actually uh, more intuitive than it seems like uh, it seems like the video game development world as a whole uh, seems to believe. I think it is. Yes. And yeah. yeah, I think I think the experience of flight and the experience of of uh piloting and and seeing a thing move through the air is is more of a natural experience than video game designers often give it credit for in in 
this sort of mass-produced consumer space. And so in both Cats Fly Helicopters and Roger Meatball, I am trying to build games that are that are grounded in simulation, um, but but sort of still casual and accessible. Um, and yeah, because I I don't I don't see any reason why uh, why we can have something like Gran Turismo that is played um, by most of its consumers on a, a DualShock 4 <laughs> PlayStation controller, but we can't have a game about flight that has like any sem- semblance of legitimate flight simulation um, exist on a, on a video game console. That, that doesn't yes. really make sense to me. You know, I think, I think we can get a little bit more serious with, with our simulation. Well, look, we, I, I want to open up my straight away. Sorry, I, 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 I want to get this in here. Thank you. For God's sakes, thank you. Um, all right. So you, you touched on a whole bunch of things there, in particular in regards to um, uh, how natural it is to actually fly. And I've, I've tried to explain this so many times in the past, and it's a really, really difficult one to try and wrap your head around, especially if you're trying to explain it to somebody who hasn't spent any time in the simulation space before. The one I like to use is uh, Ubisoft flight games, or Ubisoft flight in any game, whether it be Wildlands or whatever. Mm-hmm. They cannot make anything feel realistic and actually go so far as to go GTA, helicopters and aircraft in GTA. Yeah. Absolutely. And the reason why they fly so terribly, so utterly crap, is because they try and simplify the controls down. And I try and explain to people, you don't need to. Flight isn't difficult. There's a couple of areas if you want to do a game that you would need to soften things up a little bit for the end user. Landing is one of the things in particular um, where you might possibly need to simplify it a little. But the actual aspects of flight itself and even you know, take off and the rest is not something that you really need to play with too much, even for the most casual of casual players. And the case in point that I like to use, the first time my oldest son ever flew a flight sim, he was three. And he was able to fly a B-17 around with absolutely no problems whatsoever. He wanted to go left. He pushed the stick left. The plane went left. He pushed it back to center. It went back to center. He wanted to go down. He pushed forward. He wanted to come up. He pulled back. And it took him about 10 seconds to work out how to actually fly the goddamn plane around without having to think about it. And I'm thinking, he can work that out that quickly at that age. Yet Ubisoft doesn't trust its gamers to work out those same basic controls for a helicopter on a console controller on one of their AAA titles and so manages to completely screw it up trying to make it easier, which actually just winds up making it stupid. So, <laughs> well, yeah, it, it is. I have a, so a lot of things are, are stupid. <laughs> just um, go, going back to the ease of the controls I, and you know, making games that you can pick up and play. Um, the last couple of days I've been having a crack at Roger Meatball and firstly, I'm shit at it. Um, <laughs> but secondly, it's just, I picked up, I'm, I've been playing it with Xbox 360 controller. It, it just, it, I just picked it up. There was no, I, I didn't even have to look at controls. I just picked it yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, you're probably already doing like landing patterns, right? <laughs> uh, well, I haven't had that much time. In the, uh, I've, I've landed like 10 times or so and crashed the first two times because mm-hmm. the, the controls are quite twitchy. Once yeah, twitchy. I sort of 
got once I got over that, um, it was fairly thing, and it was only on my very last land, um, actually just before we got in on voice here for the podcast, I actually worked out, hey, wait a minute, I can actually take off once I've landed. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it was, yeah. Yeah, but it's the kind of thing I can just pick up and go. Hey, okay, I, I got five minutes here. Let's 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 go crash a plane a few times, <laughs> which is yeah. But it, it is something that I really wish that more developers would uh, pick up on straight away. I, I really something I'd like to see exported across the entire space is that so sometimes flight isn't difficult, and trust that your players are intelligent enough to be able to figure it out because it's really not that hard. I I, and, I do think Max that that you need to challenge Mr. G.I. Hags, Iron Armenium himself, to to some Roger Meatball landings. Been a while since since you dropped dropped a um hey Iron, here's some carrier landings. <laughs> there is a plaque on the second screen, so you guys can uh, you guys can call each other in. I think it'd be interesting. I've um. I've um I dropped that video years ago and it still gets views. <laughs> I should do another one. I, I should really go back into it and just um that that should be my next uh War Thunder video. My my War Thunder video for like the next three months since I don't do them very often anymore. Um is is jump on and just pick out all the new aircraft and start landing them on carriers because mm, that was my a good idea. Let, let's let's do it together because I I'd I'd like to have a crack at that in VR. War Thunder VR carrier landings well well it'll be more interesting now because see back when i did that video a lot of the heavy bombers and stuff at the time didn't have cockpits that was pre-cockpit war thunder so um yes yeah, so some of the landings i i hated flying without a cockpit but a lot of people don't realize that video i did that on stick that wasn't mouse control i did that on a joystick <laughs> and i did that from cockpit view the video was recorded in the replays, but I flew that from inside. So, um, yeah, I'd probably have to do it again because I'm actually better at landing on carriers in Thunder or on a stick than I am on mouse. Go figure. I, I don't get it. But anyways, yeah, I, I, I did it all that way. So now now they've actually got cockpits and stuff in there. It'll be a hell of a lot more interesting. And I never did end up putting the um, is it the IL-76. No, TU-4. TU-4. The, the the Russian knockoff of the B twenty nine. I never did end up landing on that <laughs> carrier, so I might have to go back in and actually sort that one out. Oh, that's fun. But yeah, um, yeah. From the back to the development side of things, um, yes, I, I absolutely love that philosophy. And like, how deep do you get into the physics side? I mean, obviously, coming from your background in aerospace. How much of that do you actually bring in? How how much of the simulation is actually there? Is there any areas that you choose to soften, or do you try and keep it as hardcore across the board as you possibly can? Yeah. So, um, so I also have a, a a sort of philosophy for, or a philosophy when it comes to simulation as well. Um, that the lesson that the lesson that used to get passed around in my in my flight sim department when um, when I was doing a lot more of it at my job uh, in in the aerospace industry proper uh, was that um, 
you you can only get you can only match the quality of output uh, that you get from the quality of your input. So like if you have access to a wind tunnel and a uh, high quality model of your aircraft and you're able to go in the wind tunnel and test it every angle and get a bunch of data and pump that back mm-hmm. into a simulation, then you're going to get a super realistic um, or I don't realistic's a, a bad word. I'm not going to use that because that's going to like, uh, that's going to trigger the wrong, trigger the wrong idea. Uh, you're going to get a, you know, accurate, um, but you're going to, you're going to be able to uh, have a lot more fidelity in your, in your failure state sort of right off the bat. Um, but the, the, when uh, I, I like the term there, failure state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, well, that pretty much it, yeah, because it's any, any mission that I fly out. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's where, that's where people start to notice the, that's where people start to notice deficiencies in simulation or, or at least assume that they're noticing deficiencies in simulation um, is, is in the, or is on the edge of performance envelopes of aircraft mm-hmm. because it's, it's not real difficult to make, um, to make a, an aircraft fly straight and level accurately. Um, and it's not that difficult to make or to simulate an aircraft flying with, uh, with small angles of attack and side slip accurately. Uh, it's, it's when you get into, you know, super dynamic states or when you get near stall space and that's, that's where you get, uh, all sorts of, or that's, that's the hardest area to simulate because it's the, those are the most dynamic areas of, of flight. And, um, that's when people start to. What, what, that term super dynamic state. What, what's that mean? Oh, that, that was, I mean, dynamic state is just like, you know, rapidly changing and super dynamic state is just the way that is just super is just the word that I put in front of dynamic and, I just meant um, it's when you are when an aircraft is most dynamic, or when uh, the when the when shit's going real south. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, it's it's when an aircraft is like most most unstable or something. Um, so whenever whenever you have really high rates of change uh, on mm. on an aircraft, that's when you get the least maybe intuitive behavior um but also since since the behavior of an airframe is is coupled between you know at at a minimum probably five different control surfaces right a couple ailerons a couple elevators and and a rudder um but you know oftentimes even even more control surfaces than that um that's that's when you get really weird behavior and can be less uh, directly predictable behavior and that's when um especially anybody who has experience in an airframe is going to recognize that like this stall doesn't feel like the stall of the actual aircraft and um and so i've i I feel like i've gotten kind of a ways away from from the question you actually asked me to begin with but um to hopefully bring it back uh, i realized uh you know early on in making video games about flight that i'm not going to have access to the same fidelity the same Hmm. the same depth of uh of data that 
sort of describes my airframe as I had in my professional space. So when you don't have that, you start to, um, you, you have to decide which aspects of the simulation you're going to, um, you're going to have fewer numbers driving, if that makes sense. Um, mm. but, but on the whole, my philosophy to simulation in general is that if you are, um, you're trying to simulate an experience more than you're trying to simulate numbers. And mm. I think that is a, that's a thing that, that's a thing that can maybe get lost a lot of the time when you're either developing a simulation or playing a simulation is that, uh, if, if you, if you walk away from, from playing a video game and, and are able to, or, and, and the experience that you remember is, uh, is maybe in line with the experience that like you would read in a pilot memoir or something, or the experience that you were expecting, then, um, then, you know, the the game simulated mm. uh, the simulated what it was what it was meant to simulate. And so, um, for instance, in in Roger Meatball, uh, my my goal is to simulate the the decision space of landing on an aircraft carrier. Uh, I chose that scenario. It's fun to hear, Mags, that like when you when you hop into War Thunder, you just try to land all of the planes on the aircraft carrier. That's like mm-hmm. the exact reason that I made <laughs> Roger Meatball as just a game about landing on an aircraft carrier, um, because it's it's landing on aircraft carriers is in every flight sim that has mm-hmm. existed. It feels like I mean, X Plane has default scenarios where you can land all sorts of weird planes on aircraft carriers like it doesn't it's you know it's just x plane just off the coast or x plane just off the coast oh you you'll love this one then david if you fly out between france and england on x plane just to Mm -hmm. the southern part of the english channel there's an aircraft carrier parked out there and you can choose to try and land anything you want on it it just sits there so I have tried to land 747s on that thing. I've, I've, I have managed to successfully put my C-17 down on that thing. Um, and yeah, it just sits out there all day for you to, to mm-hmm. dick around with, basically. It's just a fixture of the environment, a fixed, uh, fixed runway that you can uh, mess with. It, um, it's not quite as dynamic as I would like, but no. it's, um, it's, it, it's there and it does its thing. So, um, and yes, that's, I, I do have a habit of the second I find an aircraft carrier or I try and put something down. I think, I think at this point, oh, I've carrier tested every aircraft in DCS. Um, some, have, some people have been far more successful than I have. I've seen somebody who has managed to successfully both land and take off from the Stennis in a MiG-21 in DCS. Oh I have yet to pull that one off. Jeez. But um, I, I don't think there's many planes. I actually, no, I, I take it back. I haven't qual- I carrier qualified the F-16 yet, so I need to do that. <laughs> um, but I, I, w- I will do that. I will come around and try it down on the Stennis. So. Mm-hmm. I want to be Because it's yeah. fun. It's just... And I'm not great at landing. I'm the first to admit when it comes to my landing, my landings can be a bit rough, which is a side effect of um, actually doing my, a YouTube thing. My landings I'm are trying perfect to play... every time. There is yes. no there is, there is no evidence to prove otherwise. 
Yes, Shut they're, up. They're, no, no, absolutely not. That last F-16 video with your Mirage landing just does not exist. It is, no. no. <laughs> you should never have asked me to not show that off because you knew that that meant that I was going to put it in there twice. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, um, it's, it's like taxing the, the FW-190. It's just flawless every time. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's... The, my, my landings aren't great, but I, I still, you know, it's, it's, it's a side effect of doing this. I'm flying that many aircraft. I never really get any extreme amounts of time on any one airframe, so I never really truly learn them. And I'm constantly trying to remember things and occasionally getting stuff mixed up, um, you know, trying to land a Hornet at Mirage speeds and because I'm the brains in another place. But um, the it, it, it's still something that is fun to do and fun to try. So... Um, the second I find any place where I can do some kind of odd landing, I try and put it down. It's also a little bit of a um, a challenge thing on my end because my eyes are naked, so I deliberately try and find situations that should be a pain in the ass for everybody to put myself in because I just hate the fact that there's any restrictions on me. So I, I, I'm a bit of a, a bastard that way. Uh, it's why I like <laughs> flying at night and like flying in heavy storms. Nobody can see anything. Well, neither can I. So we're all on the same page here. So it's great. <laughs> Absolutely. I understand what you mean. And if I can pull this off, you can. That's generally my uh, my thing on it. That, that, uh, that reminds me, I should make a, a mission for IL-2 that's not only at night, but also inclement weather, stormy weather. I'll do, I'll do that. Oh, no, no. If we're going to do that, if you're going to try and create a map for IL-2, it's deliberately tried, uh, designed to piss off everybody that only wants to fly at uh, lunchtime in perfect weather. You want <laughs> nighttime, heavy storm, yep. hard rain, fog at low altitude, and you want to turn the map markers off. Learn to navigate. <laughs> Learn to use your instruments. <laughs> Look in the cockpit. <laughs> it's all there. If I can navigate the map in those conditions, you've got no excuse. I'm I'm so sad that there aren't more. Uh, there isn't a multiplayer space uh, in IL two that uses its weather, um, and even like uses wind. Like uh, I, well, we do every we single do. mission. That's great. On my IL two mm. server, the unprofessionals has turbulence, has wind. Okay, that's not great. not necessarily like a lot of wind. I do have different times of day in a lot of the missions. Um, I do occasionally. I, I try and make sure that they're in there, but you know, I get too many complaints. But I, I do yeah, make that's, sure that's that's that there's, there's a rain, there's at least one mission in the rotation that, that's got wet weather. That's great. There is a whole train of missions that we've got set up for that server, and, and I've got a whole bunch of them that are just sitting there that we never put into rotation for DCS as well that are less than optimal flight conditions. And every single time one of them comes in, Dead meat gets complaints. It's not clear and it's not sunny, and my plane's moving left when I'm coming at the runway. What's going on? And every every time I just say, change. Yeah, my response to them is always change your tactics. (laughs) Yeah, it's and it's because, and it's actually been a thing for a really long something that annoys me from the space and it, it comes down to the whole how realistic is realistic. You hear sim community members. Um, often, I, I, like, I don't want to be too negative on this one here, but they'll often complain about something not being realistic in a flight model or something. And a lot of the times, yeah. they, these are completely legitimate. Um, 
and I actually want to come back to the flight models a little bit later because a couple of things you mentioned before, but um, just jumping back onto this one. But then they go into a multiplayer server. And if there's anything more than a few light puffs, uh, puffs of cloud that might accidentally disturb their vision or they've got anything more than about three or four meter per second crosswind, mm-hmm. they crack the shits. Oh, no, that's not realistic. In World War II, if enemy bombers were coming in and it was pissing rain, thunderstorms, and ripping 15 miles an hour across the runway, so much so that the plane was more sideways than it was forward during takeoff, you flew and you shot down those bombers. Bad fucking luck. They're going to drop bombs. Their bombs may not be accurate because they've got to deal with that shit as well, but they're going to be up there and they're going to be flying. So you fly. And I, I structure entire missions around that. Actually, I get complaints in my comment sections for flying night missions in DCS, which is why I don't do them very often on the channel anymore, and mm. often when I'm flying heavy weather conditions. I did a, a video a little while ago with the F-18 where I was doing a ground strike mission in I'm, what was essentially a hurricane. And what, I got complaints about it because there was that the one that I joined you for? Yeah, yeah, you, you were flying me back up in that one there. There was actually complaints because from the video side of things, there was minimum visibility. And I'm sort of rubbing my temples going, so, okay, the blind man is flying in a hurricane and successfully completing the mission, and you're complaining about the minimal visibility out the windows. I can't see out the windows in the first place, so what am I doing that allows me to find the targets? Because I don't run target markers for ground targets. I only run them for the air. So how am I finding the tanks that I'm blowing up? That's the part everybody seems to miss, and that's the part that was intended to be shown. And and it's yeah, it, it comes from this core section of the community that well, it's, it's not so a core section of the community, but it seems like it could be a core idea on how multiplayer servers or any kind of um, flight server is run, is that everybody flies at daylight in near perfect conditions. Everything is always optimal. And you can see that just jumping through multiplayer servers for IL-2, DCS, doesn't really matter, pick one. There's The flight conditions are always near perfect on every single server. There's almost perfect visibility. It's almost always lunchtime with maximum range. Finding anything with weather is incredibly rare. Mm-hmm. At all, at yeah, all. Honestly, some of the, I would say a lot of the most fun that I've had um, flying those sims online has been the situations where there was like serious cloud cover or um, yeah, like a, a low cloud ceiling or something, and people are sort of hovering over targets right below the clouds, and then you've got other people who you know the astronauts who are way up there hoping to bounce somebody and they can't find anybody and you're mm-hmm. peeking up through holes in the clouds for people and like it just changes the whole environment and uh like i i personally find asymmetry to be one of the more um interesting aspects of video games in general um competition mm-hmm. in general um because it allows for um it allows for sort of unique tactics and um, and people really digging into roles and those are, you know, role playing is something that I also find really compelling as a, as a designer and as a player. And so, yeah, I, I wish there was more variation mm. in the, uh, in the multiplayer space for both IL-2 and DCS. Mm. Yeah. It was something that we've, we're trying to get into people on the server on this end because it's a hell of a lot of fun. And, and as you say, some of the mm-hmm. best experiences I've had in flight sims, I've actually been out of combat. Um, 
you know, it's it's been the moment. Like, it's another thing that I do in, in DCS, and I, I sort of wish there was an option for it in IL2. I don't think there is at the moment, or at least I've never seen it, is um, uh, random systems failures. I fly with that on always, and mm, too fine. much to people's surprise in multiplayer, I also activated on all the multiplayer missions that I have too. So I've had people that have taken off and just immediately had an engine explode because <laughs> shit happens. Um, I... <laughs> And, and some of the best experiences of that I've had have been on missions where I've had adverse weather. You know, you've got heavy cloud cover, there's rain, there's crosswind. It's it's generally, you know, not optimal conditions. And they may not be the worst out there, but it's not great. And you're on your way home, you've had, you know, you may have taken a hit and then you've had a cascading systems failure. Half the avionics in the plane aren't functioning. One engine's down, you're trying to fly on one. The fly-by-wire is barely functional if you're in a plane that has it in the first place. You've got a crosswind, storms out there, and you've got to try and make it home and land while navigating visually through a storm because half of your systems are dead. That is some of the best flight experiences that I've had. You're, I'm on probably one of the more recent ones that I've actually had on channel was um, I took a SAM hit and had to drag. I know it wasn't a SAM hit; it was um, anti-aircraft artillery, and I had to drag an F-18 home that was pissing fuel to the point where um, it actually ran out of fuel about 30 meters from the end of the runway. Just those kind of experiences when things are just not going your way and you're doing everything you can to try and bring the plane home are often as good and in some cases even better than the combat situations that you can find aircraft in. And some of those are just naturally created by just having the right weather conditions and the right situation and the right combination of things go very wrong. Anybody that turns all those options off and don't fly in those is basically denying themselves the opportunity to ever experience any of it. And I think that's a real shame. There's there's a hell of a lot of fun to be had there. I mean, it's the um, the reason why the um, your your civilian flight sim communities why they enjoy what they do so much. If you ask most people that only play combat flight sims, um, you know what is it that um, uh, what is it that civilian pilots do? Well, they fly to A to B, and that's it. That That's all it is. There's a reason why most of the flight sims that are on the market, you know, your X-Planes, um, I think Flight Simulator 10 had it. I'm absolutely positive that Flight Simulator 2020 is going to. In fact, it's um, already demonstrated it. Um, has the option to activate real-world weather. So you have to deal with real-world weather conditions and real lighting, which is never optimal. Um, all the time why they're flying and having to deal with that uh, adverse uh, navigation, having to deal with turbulence, having to deal with massive crosswind storms, having to divert flight paths to try and get to where they're going because something is going wrong. And that's that's assuming they're just doing a standard flight from runway A to runway B in the first place. They've got all that to deal with. If you're doing some of the flight in some of the more complex areas and you're flying the mountains to do um, delivery to some backwater runway in the middle of nowhere, these pilots are going to run into even more issues, updrafts against the mountains. These are all things that nobody... Well, it's it's very rare to encounter in the um, the combat sim area because anytime you turn any of those options off, or anytime you run anything outside of optimal combat conditions, it affects people's ability to see the targets. And so they don't like it because they only see the combat in the combat flight sim. They seem to, often a lot of servers, I'd like to say that they forget the flight sim part. That's the section that they miss. 
I think there's also, um, I agree with you. I think, uh, I, the, the combat sim space in particular is, uh, dependent on competition and, um, mm. people want to get kills, people want to kill things. And, uh, yeah, I think that is also what, uh, drives them to be, um, less interested in, <laughs> in failure in the, <laughs> and the the humility and learning that comes that comes with failure i mean certainly there's a there's a ton of people who really enjoy it but um it is uh when you know if if the goal for the majority of your your pilots is to get a high kill count or something then um it's yeah it's going to be hard to to throw people to, into an environment that even if it is like evenly matched or something uh, mm. makes them feel like um, makes them feel like they're they're somehow getting cheated or um, that it's the game's fault that they're <laughs> not racking up mm. those kills. I don't know. My guess is that is the part of the community who who get the most vocally frustrated about it. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, like it, it tends to be something that pops up fairly often. Actually, it was just sort of occurring to me then from the combat side, there's actually a lot that's missing as well. Um, adverse weather conditions can be very interesting for combat tactics. Um, mm -hmm. Even in modern aircraft where you have, you know, IFF and radar, like radar is a wonderful thing, but it really struggles to tell the difference between an enemy and an ally without IFF running as well. But IFF is a separate system you generally need to manage and you need to double check. So with the right weather conditions that uh, give you the lack of or the correct lack of visibility to a target, if a hostile aircraft manages to slip underneath your radar and then pop up in the middle of your group, they know everybody around them is a hostile, but everybody that's in that group needs to start double-checking one another to work out who is and who isn't, except on some of these aircraft that obviously have automatic systems, but who is and who isn't the hostile in the group before they start shooting there's a whole there's whole tactics that you can use in relation to the the environment that you're flying through and if you do have them all turned off you miss the opportunity to be able to really screw with people <laughs> in the in, in in all the fun ways or just just to be able to disappear as well you know just flick off your radar flick your ecm off and in in a modern jet drop below the mountains to drop yourself off the radar and then just pull up into a storm cloud and just vanish in the middle of a fight you can't do that if everything's clean and clean and clear. And once you go back to World War II combat where the IFF doesn't exist and there is no, there's nothing but visual identification of targets, things get even more interesting. It only takes a couple of good clouds floating around and you can completely reverse the situation just by sort of knowing how to navigate inside of a cloud and having a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a picture in your head of what the, uh, what you think the enemy is going to do and a little bit of luck to make sure that they actually do it to completely reverse a situation that would have been normally you being killed because you got jumped and you suddenly dropping out of the cloud and finding your enemy is in front of you because they didn't think that you might uh, loop around inside of it or use the cloud to your advantage. So, yeah, any I'm very much against turning off all these adverse conditions because in every aspect, they are an aspect of everything. and not having them does negatively affect the simulation as a whole, in my opinion. It's, it loses something when you take this stuff away.
Um, yeah, um, flight models. Now, we were talking about some of that before. Now I've actually got to think exactly. There was uh, something that I wanted to bring up, and I've completely yeah, well, gone we, off track on what it was. But we were talking about Odysseus World War Two aircraft feel like jets, the, the way that they fly through the air. Um, uh, we've come to that. I've actually just remembered what it was, though. And we, you're talking about the uh, the edges of uh, essentially envelope modeling um, when it comes to flight sims <laughs> and how close you get on the end. I did want to actually extend on that a little bit as well, and I should have done this back before because it, it seems like, um, uh, from what you were saying, that when you start getting to the edges of the envelope, the quality of this simulation begins to drop off. Um, the, the reality Ooh. is... And like I've spoken to a lot of developers over this over the years, um, and it may surprise some people, but this is entirely common in all simulations. Very few developers have access to wind tunnel data or high detail data, particularly when you start getting into very advanced or very new aircraft where a lot of the stuff is still somewhat kept under wraps. Anything active service military, once you start getting to the extreme edges of the edges of the aircraft's flight envelope, things start getting a little um, less detailed in regards to the information that has been released, even if there is information released. And because of some of the the interesting laws, I, I think a few people may recall that there was a, a little bit of an issue with Eagle Dynamics and DCS and one of their employees a couple of well, almost a year ago now, I think, where he. Um, one of the employees, and I don't want to go too much into the details because I'm sort of working off memory here, but one of the employees got access to some documentation for an F-16. Yeah, I don't think now, it was that long ago. I think it was like yeah. in the beginning of the summer because it was like almost right before they started selling the F-16. Yeah, well, it was, I think it was a little bit before that. It's popped up a couple of times for it. But regardless, he got some information to the F-16 that – in most NATO nations, is completely legal to have, but it's actually illegal to export to Russia. And he had it essentially on a PDF going into Russia and got into a lot of trouble for it because um, the, the rules when it comes to exporting this kind of data, even though you know this data is on the internet, like I have, make no mistake, nothing that he had wasn't on a shelf in the Kremlin right now. In fact, they've probably got a more detailed version of it. They've already got the information because it is publicly available and it's on the internet. But it's the fact of actually physically moving it from one place to the other goes into the violation of some laws that um, are really nasty in regards to exporting you know, military hardware or military information. There's a whole bunch of really, really, the, the kind of laws you do not want to cross that will nail you in all sorts of prisons for all sorts of extended periods of time. And um, he, he ended up bringing this through. Because of these laws, even though this information is entirely available, entirely available to everybody, I mean, I've got a couple of PDFs on my computer right now that if I was to pick my computer up and jump on a plane and go into Russia, I would get put into prison for that are completely legal for me to have here. But because the product is exported across multiple nations, including nations that do not fall under the um, you're allowed to have this information, quote unquote, even though they've already got it. Um, developers can't use the information in these documents. They have to use the publicly released information. Uh, essentially, they have to use the equivalent of the Wikipedia information to develop the aircraft. They can't use the detailed stuff because there's laws and regulations on it, even if it's declassified. So 
all developers have to do this to some extent. There is a point in the flight model where they are sitting on information and they might have really good information. Sometimes there is no good information for flight modeling. Sometimes they might be sitting on really good information for flight modeling, but they may not be able to use it. They may have to run with some more simplified numbers in certain areas because those are the publicly available numbers that are available to be moved around. And if they use any other number, they will have to write themselves out a list of countries that they cannot sell their product into. And some of these may be very big flight sim communities. Russia has a massive flight sim community. So virtually all NATO aircraft that you have ever played in things like DCS, um, unless they've got special permissions for them, are likely running on inaccurate numbers. Like I know for a fact that the the A10 Warthog module in DCS is not accurate. It's um it's thrust output and a couple of other areas and its flight controls have actually been um, deliberately nerfed down. And this was because of uh, the difference between certain publicly available information and the actual information. And there had to be a bit of a, a change in there. And there is actually a more realistic version of the A10C module that is in a proper flight simulation setup that's only for, I think it's actually used for A10 pilot flight training that actually has the accurate flight model as an example that they couldn't, they could not release publicly because it, it falls into that particular area. So anything in the flight simulation space, particularly if it comes to military aircraft, you have to get really careful on what you use and what you don't use because put the wrong piece of information in and sell it to the wrong place and you know the US government could come in, shut down your company and arrest everyone type stuff. Like it's um, the, the law that the, uh, the, as I said, I don't want to go too far into the details because I'm sort of running off memory here, but I understand that the law that the Eagle Dynamics employee sort of crossed over was basically the same law that he would have crossed over if he had tried to sell an F-16, like an actual F-16 to Russia. But that's the level it plays at. They don't discriminate on what you're doing. Oh, that's a flight manual. That's a real aircraft. As far as we're concerned, the same sort of thing. Now, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping it was just a genuine screw-up and um, he just had stuff and didn't realize it. And I'm hoping he doesn't get into any like any more major trouble than he's already in, obviously. But that's the, the laws that involving this, like for, for international like, like arms trade laws, they've got some really nasty teeth on them. So flight sim developers in general, in, especially in the combat space, unless they're working on vintage aircraft like you know World War II stuff, anything modern, um, they have to be really careful about what they actually use. And because of that, virtually every, well, every DCS module you've ever flown probably isn't accurate when you start getting towards the edges of the envelope because they can't be. They cannot use the proper data because it is not allowed and they can get in all sorts of shit if they do. Yeah, I think... Uh... I mean, I guess, I guess a couple things. <laughs> the article that I remember reading about uh, that ED employee hmm. so said that the FBI was watching him for having solicited uh, or requested F-35 and F-22 manuals. <laughs> yes, there, there, there was so, a few other things going on there I mean, as well. That's, that's I, whatever, I'm not, I... I have no idea um, how how robust the reporting was on that, but that's 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 pretty illegal. <laughs> yeah, that, that is that is very that is very much illegal. Yes, but there is yeah. 
there is um yeah it's not just that side of stuff though he um like right. I, I as i understand right. it from what i recall like he may have asked and that may have been why they were paying attention to him but i don't think he ever had actually had any but he definitely had f-16 documentation and what was interesting is as far as we know he wasn't actually part of the f-16 team at all so he wasn't actually working for eagle dynamics but they still had to make a massive you know uh, do a thing like this wasn't for us this wasn't for us because it gets them into all sorts of dramas i mean as i understand it getting the f-16 in the first place for eagle dynamics was actually kind of difficult because it's a lockheed aircraft and well, yeah it, has prepared I mean, 3D. they've got their own flight sim yeah they've got oh. their own flight sim well, yeah, I, just from the flight sim development side, I I would be, um, I would be skeptical of. I mean, their their flight sims make them, you know, zero dollars compared to actual military hardware. So, my hmm. my guess is that the any of any major hesitation um, or any any major difficulties in in getting access to. Getting access or licenses to military aircraft is um, is dependent on the effect it will have on the company's ability to sell or the defense contractor's ability to sell actual military hardware. Um, but also uh, to to circle back to to something you mentioned about the the difficulty of getting high fidelity data for for consumer flight simulations um you know we're we're talking about a lot of uh, a lot of u.s aircraft uh right now but um you know there's there's a pretty it's a pretty clear reason that that ed is is clearly stated about uh not having you know clickable cockpits and super high fidelity on the the russian aircraft as well russian aircraft yeah 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 exactly <laughs> the same thing their parent country doesn't oh doesn't let that them do that so yeah. it's you know we're we it sort works of both I think ways. It, well it works both ways but uh since the since the market is is primarily um or i i assume since they make most of their money on the u.s aircraft um it is uh and also since they reside in another country um you know i i think that they're putting out i i assume that they are more sensitive to the demands and expectations of the Russian government than they are of uh, of NATO countries. Well, yes and no. They've, they've got to play all markets. So like it is always where Dynamics is headquartered in Moscow. So um, there's definitely some concern they've got to have there on their end. But I like it, it's not like nobody would buy a Red 4 aircraft. For, like they've been chewing on the bit for them for ages. It's just oh, people um, would buy people would buy them for sure. Yeah, that's that's sort of yeah. what I'm saying is um, yeah, I, Russia is a I little think bit the fact more... that we, I think the fact that we have a higher uh, we have a higher fidelity um, bunch of NATO aircraft than we do mm. Russian aircraft is uh, is not coincidental. No, no, no. I, I I think it's probably a thing. And my actual hope is I've I've got great hope for Decker Ironworks. Because um, I think that's the only way we're going to finally get fully clickable Red 4 aircraft. They're not going to be Russian. They're going to be Chinese because China just doesn't care. <laughs> so it's going to be a fully clickable J11, I'm hoping, at some point in the future, which will be our our SU-27. And they've got the, um, the, the was it, the, uh, the, the JF, uh, what's the current one? JF-17? Yeah. Yep. 
Um, they've got that one without that one in the moment, which looks amazing. I, I have to add. It looks and really I, cool. Yeah, it, like it's some of the stuff they've shown it already. It's, I want, please, please let me fly this. Um, it looks like a hell of a lot of fun too. It's this tiny little sort of super modernized F sixteen. Basically, that's that's what it is. It's um, it's it's the Chinese equivalent of an F sixteen, um, and it could be a hell of a lot of fun. But I think that's where it's going to going to come from because Russia's a little. Well, actually, no. It's you can probably actually go through and sort of explain why Russia would be a little bit tighter on their hardware as well. Like, um, if you actually look at look at look at the U.S. aircraft. Pardon me. Look at the U.S. aircraft that we actually have access to. We've got, you know, the F-18, the F-16, except it's an older block F-16. It's not the current version. It's not even close to being a block 70 or I think what were they up to, block 72 or block 74 now. We're not even ballpark close to what's going on in those things. It's that's a it's a much older model. Um, you look at the F-18s, the F-18C, an aircraft the U.S. Navy has put out of service. The Marines are still sort of flying at the moment in a couple of squadrons, I believe, but it's only why they're waiting for their F-35s. And even the other nations that fly them, which is, I think Canada's the only one that's continuing to fly the F-18 at this time. Australia's currently getting ready to sell off our F-18 fleet. Most of them are being sold to Canada, and the rest are going to be probably dismantled um, for parts. So it's it's an aircraft that is out, basically out of service in the United States, and it's on the verge of getting out of service. Now, what don't we have? Well, we don't have a Super Hornet, and I don't expect we'll see one of those for quite some time, even though it's a very similar aircraft overall. Um, yeah, I don't think we're going to get to see one for quite a bit. We're definitely never going to see an F-35 or an F-22 in DCS. That's just not going to happen. Forget about it. It's... um. Anything that is in simulation at the moment is an aircraft that is either old enough that it has gone through sufficient upgrades that it is no longer exactly the same as what you see in simulation, or it's an aircraft that's on its way out of service. Mm-hmm. The Russian yeah, aircraft... Stuff yeah, stuff that's not strategically relevant. Yes. Now, r- Russian aircraft... They haven't really updated their fleet with anything substantial other than the Felon in um, three decades. The avionics in the the MiGs have changed, but there's still a MiG-29S. Like, it's still the machine that they've been building. I think the S model's been under construction for two decades at this point. It's still the same plane. The SU-33s, they're no longer building at the moment because they're no longer going to fly them off carriers. They're going to change over to MiGs if they ever get a carrier running again, of course. Um, you know, Assuming they can either get Kuznetsov to float again or they build a new one, whatever happens. Um, but they were going to change that over to MiG-29s anyway. So the SU-33s are out of production. The SU-27s, the new models, are basically glass cockpit versions of exactly the same aircraft. They, they haven't changed the planes that much overall so if you built a full fidelity even an older block let's say the equivalent of the fc3 aircraft that we have if you built an older block su-27 in dcs that would be essentially the same aircraft to fly as the current model in service su-27 that russia has In in terms of flight capability, they haven't changed. Same engines, same tuning. The avionics is just a better way of displaying data, and that's all it is. And as far as I know, obviously, you know, 
they don't release all their information on it, but they haven't really changed their data link systems at all. So it's the same plane. And my contact's just gone wandering around the inside of my head. So pardon me for a second, guys. Uh, talk without me while I fix this one up. <laughs> uh, so going back to the something we mentioned before we started, you, you mentioned you were, were creating skins for uh, Isle 2, the I-16. <laughs> yeah. Is that something you do a lot of? The, no. The graphics no. side of things? No, graphics are actually... As a I'm going to step away, guys. Keep going without me. Oh. All right. Shit. Um, graphics are my my weakest side, which is why Roger Meatball looks the way that it does. Um, it's I made um, almost all of the graphics in Roger Meatball myself, um, but that is like the, the bleeding edge of my graphics capability is to hop into Blender and make a low-poly... Um, a 3D mesh over top of a reference reference drawing and then just like flat shade it. Um, that's that's pretty much all I can do. So the, <laughs> the skins thing in IL2, I didn't even know how to export a skin in IL2 until uh, this morning when I just watched a YouTube tutorial for it. Um, but uh, they I have I believe a... they, on the forums, they actually have templates there for you to mm -hmm. actually work with. Yeah, so I right, I downloaded the template and I kept like exporting it as the .dds file that you're supposed to do, and like it didn't work, and so I had to figure out like what what in GIMP am I not doing properly to actually get the the thing to export and be read by the game. But um, yeah, no, I I'm just making this skin as as sort of a joke for for me and my friends. Um, I fly with fly with a few guys uh, regularly, and we. We just hop on when people are available and hop into a multiplayer server. But TAW is starting up a new campaign, I think, uh, maybe tomorrow. I, I, um, I could never get into TAW just because mm -hmm. you have to register with their website. And oh, yeah. Ha having, having to register on a website just to jump on a multiplayer server. The way I fly, I, I don't have time to invest in something like TAW. So, <laughs> so, so. It. Just to like, I would I would love for TAW to be more full. Um, so I will I will push back and encourage you to go to the website because it is a all you just do it once and then uh, and then you're in once each um, season. But it's just well, it's yet right, another once each season. But and it's yeah, just... the seasons are like months long, and so you know if it takes you if it takes you two to three minutes to to get your name onto the thing, and then every sortie you have is a minimum of twenty five minutes in the flight simulation. Then um, and to me, it's a it's a it's a worthwhile trade off. But it uh, it is it is a wild it's a wild experience. I think TAW is the most um, impressive multiplayer thing that I have seen exist or that I have ever been a part of um, in, in anything. So yeah, now that, now that they're starting up a new campaign, um, that means that, I mean, the campaigns last uh, a month to two months or three months or I don't know how, how long they last, but it's, it's months. And um, that means that I will be stuck flying, not stuck because it's one of my favorite aircraft, but the aircraft available to me will be like uh, an I-16 and a P-235 um, for for a couple of weeks now. And I really want a, a custom I-16 skin. So I'm just going to make one that is uh, 
based on the Pokemon Raticate. <laughs> Because the I-16's nickname is the Rat, and so I've got a really silly, like, brown skin with big teeth on the front. It's stupid. It's just dumb. Uh-huh. But that's, that's yeah, that's that's what I do with graphics. It's it's all out of, uh, um, yeah, I'm just like scraping together the the barest of uh, the barest of capabilities to to put pixels on a screen. See, for, oh. for me, it's just TRW is just not like it, when I have time to sink into IL2, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll either be jumping on the Unprofessionals server, my own server, because mm-hmm. the, the missions are designed for what I want out of IL2. Yeah, <laughs> for you, absolutely. All, 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 plane, all the it. planes are available. Okay. The, the missions are very ground attack focus mm-hmm. so so basically it's it, it's not not very um not very dogfight focus like a lot of the multiplayer servers are see it's not right. it's not airquake it's a it, it it's it's a battlefield there are ai vehicles planes and tanks what on well, there's AI planes on every mission, but there's every mission that involves um, a ground battle. There's also tanks set up so you can actually jump in there and just jump on in whatever vehicle you want, even if you want to fly World War One aircraft. They're there. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, and yeah, it's it's just it's a, if I'm not flying on that, I'm building a mission for it. Mm-hmm. So if I get inspired or um, get in the right mindset, because IL-2 missions are not the quickest, easiest thing to make. I've not yet figured out what anything in that mission editor means. So, um, well, yeah. outside of the stream, if if you want some some sort of tips, and I can link you to the really tutorial. Oh um, man, I might do that. Yeah, it's it's. Once you get your head around how the mission editor works and how things flow, it is easy to make a mission, but it's time-consuming. It'll take me weeks, literal weeks, to make a single mission in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, if, if there's I a very, that. if there's a very specific, this, that's the multiplayer missions. If there's like a very specific purpose, like Mags did a a Night Witches mission. In IL two, with a whole group of us jumping in, in Po twos. That's great. And uh, that that mission was fairly quick to make because it there was it was not complicated. It was just okay. Here are our takeoff points. Here are here's what we're gonna do. Is just place ground targets and boom, it was done. That's great. I uh, you mentioned the night witches. Um, I actually. Uh, I think one of my stronger pitches I'm looking to find a way to get a a game with the sort of Roger Meatball sensibility funded for development. I think one of my stronger mm-hmm. pitches is just to make a Night Witches game um, that is a a narrative um, a, a narrative focused uh, flight sim that is in the Roger Meatball engine. Um, 
yeah, that, that follows all of those ladies because they had a <laughs> harrowing a very, existence. <laughs> yes, a, a very, 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 very interesting existence. I'm sorry about disappearing for yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely be interested in that. I'd definitely be interested in seeing something like that. Actually, in in general, narrative driven flight sims would be fantastic. Like, I would I would really like to see, and uh, like just, just as an example, but something like Ace Combat, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I know it's it, the storyline for Ace Combat can be a little bit insane. Yeah, um, it makes no sense. It's crazy yeah. Japanese nonsense. Yeah, but yeah, but. It is story driven. Now, just picture for a second. I've actually been toying with the idea, and I, 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 I haven't been following um, Ace Combat for, for long enough because I, I really didn't do much in the way of flight. Anything flight was always my PC thing. It was never anything I did on the console. But something with the um, the concept of um, uh, re- trying to recreate completely recreate one of the Ace Combat games inside of DCS. Um, I think there's... I've seen somebody who did some. I feel like there is a. It may be an Ace Combat Five mission or campaign or something in DCS mm-hmm. that you can get on the user files. I don't know. Um, yeah, there's a few missions that have been done, but it's actually recreate the entire game from as a campaign. I think, and and you've sort of boosted my idea, and it's part of the reason why I'd definitely like to see something Night Witches orientated as well. Would be, I think there is a hole in the flight sim, like flight sim games development for a long time for genuine flight sims. So, not arcade games, genuine flight sims mm-hmm. with proper modeling, but with a narrative story behind them. Like, yeah, no, there why is. Can't, why can't we have the, um, the Hollywood movie that actually has some legitimate, um, legitimate flight modeling and not, um, and not um not 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 arcadey stuff all the time. Yes, I know the arcadey there would have to be arcade options in there just for marketing, you know, you not everybody's gonna want a um a hardcore flight sim um mm-hmm. for, for their story. So like I get that, but having having that option for that yeah. that experience. Yeah, so this is this is going back to the the conversation that we sort of started the started the episode with. But um mm. the only reason that we there's no reason we can't have that stuff. The only reason that we don't have that stuff is that um, there has not been a crossover between the the flight video game space and the rest of the video game world. There are all sorts of like let's let's you mentioned GTA um, a while ago as a as a game that does does flight pretty poorly, and I agree. Uh, I I really really like Grand Theft Auto as a sort of like Zen driving game um Mm. because the the driving physics in grand theft auto are are uh, like an order of magnitude more legitimate um or more grounded or more uh uh predictable like believable um like closer to the way that you would drive a car than their than their flight models are and so i think the way that um a decent portion of people play Grand Theft Auto is to like hop in and grab a car and like drive real fast and drive around and drive through the traffic. And the entire experience of that game is, is built for that. And so then they know that the core of their game, the the strongest core of their game is driving the car from point A to point B. So they, they build a game around that and they fill the roads with other cars and they um, fill the game with like random chance encounters and, 
characters who can get in your car and say crazy things to you on the way. They give you mm-hmm. radios to listen to. They have, I mean, a, a massive part of the way that um, Grand Theft Auto digs through their plot or presents their plot to you is um, is character to character conversations that happen as you drive from point A to point B because they know that. Um, they they have a trust in the fact that their driving model is compelling enough to mm. convince you to drive from point A to point B, but um, it's you're going to develop enough proficiency at it that you could also handle something in the background. So they they let you handle that that um, that plot, that exposition, like that that story development and narrative development. And yeah, the only reason that that doesn't exist in the flight space is that um, the only people doing good like deep robust flight in video games is the super serious flight simulation um Mm. people and uh so you have you have games like dcs that have campaigns with voiceover and have some really fun and interesting missions with voiceover and stuff but like um but that is still you could you could still take a game um like Roger Meatball, like a, a level of a level of flight fidelity that fits on a gamepad and still still is seeking to uh, replicate the experience of piloting an aircraft without forcing you to constantly like click around a cockpit and manage a bunch of subsystems that you sort of need a manual for. Um, mm-hmm. You can. My goal is to like replicate the the piloting experience, and now I need to find like some way to keep an average player, like a, a player who is not a pure flight enthusiast, interested in like flying from point A to point B, um, because there is going to be some downtime. And uh, even if you put in weather and even if you put in other stuff, like there, unless you want to just uh, design systems that are going to permanently flood the player with, uh, with stimulation, um, which is which is not something that or which is not a sort of philosophy or or mission design philosophy that i i adhere to um i i think you you can you're going to be able to retain players um through longer play sessions if you if you give them something else that's that's still a little bit softer to engage with and i think narrative is is the the answer that i would like to use for my games um yeah, it's, it's actually something I sort of covered in one of my own videos, like flying around in the Huey. And uh, I sort of addressed it then. And I keep meaning to go back to it as a subject. So thank you for giving me sort of the opportunity to go for it. But when it comes to narrative in the flight sim, it doesn't also, I think I would love to see something that's got a story as mentioned, but it doesn't always have to be a story that is directly given to you. It can be something that, you're sort of putting together yourself. Um, mm-hmm. What I mean is, what is well, what's the most? What is the most single most popular simulation in the world at the moment? Is it like American Truck Simulator or something? Exactly, Truck Simulator, yeah. American Truck yeah. and Euro Truck Simulator. Yeah. The narrative of building your own truck company, and that is a game that when you take away that little aspect of actually managing a company. The whole game is literally drive truck to place, pick up object, drive to point B, drop off object, drive to point A, pick up object, and occasionally stop for fuel somewhere in the center when you have to. Like mm-hmm. gameplay wise, 
there's nothing yet it is so compelling to do and so much fun to do building your own truck company yet there isn't a single major flight simulation in even the civilian space at the moment no that has an inbuilt career mode where you build your own av uh, own airline of any kind I, I, I they don't, it doesn't love, exist i would love a, a flight simulator that that basically was you know a truck simulator flight sims that, yeah. that would give me a reason to actually jump in flight sims because I, I I don't want to jump into a flight sim and decide for myself what where I'm flying. I want to be it's, given, I, w- I want to be given a, an objective. Yeah, it's it's good to hear you guys uh, talk about this because this is one of the one of the models that I think um, I have a, a decent opportunity to get funded is um, the American Truck Simulator Euro Truck Simulator of a flight simulation and i think that's a pretty i think that's a pretty rich space for mm. me to explore in an engine like i have developed for roger meatball and it's why i've started to add it i didn't i didn't talk too much about the game so um for people oh, who are perfect familiar, opportunity go ahead Spr- spruce yeah. your words guys <laughs> yeah. um, perfect opportunity buried an hour in <laughs> um i should have done that i should have done that up front but um yeah for people who are unfamiliar with uh roger meatball i started the game as uh um it was it was it was really a way for me to build my own flight simulation engine inside of uh, the Unity game engine. Um, so I knew I wanted to make games about flight, and I knew I wanted to make something about planes, and I always had envisioned eventually making narrative flight games because I I love... I mean, there's so many just crazy, harrowing piloting stories and so many great narratives in in the history of aviation that um, if if you have the flight simulation up front and then you can and if your flight simulation is is inherently built to uh to deliver narrative properly then i could my idea was that i could sort of make infinite uh infinite piloting stories out of it and so the first scenario that i decided to put into a game was landing on an aircraft carrier because as we talked about a little bit earlier uh it's just it's it's in every flight sim and my earliest um, memories of playing flight simulations was uh sitting in my cousin's basement playing usnf gold it was like a, a jane's game in the the mid to late 90s um and for we, those listening we to the stream that's u.s navy fighters yes yes u.s navy fighters uh u.s navy fighters 97 u.s u.s navy fighters 97 gold like one one of those one of those was the official title of the game we played but we would hop in and i mean one of the instant actions that they had was land on a carrier and you could pick your aircraft and we always picked like i think we always picked the yak which as a kid i thought that was really funny i didn't i was like i i always wondered why you know russians named their planes after like a a big furry animal and i didn't realize it was like a dude's name um so yeah like i was we were we were dumb kids we had no idea what we were doing we could never land on the aircraft carrier but like you did it over and over again because it's like a 30 second game loop and uh when you fail you just restart and it's it's always tense and it's always funny when when you fail and and so we did that a lot. And I figured that was if I wanted to spin up a flight simulation um, and I was doing this in my in my spare time, like, you know, I have, I have a family. I had a one year old kid at the time. Um, I was only going to work on this, you know, an hour to two hours a week at night. And uh, I figured that was a small enough of a scope of a game for me to get something up and running. And so so eventually I did get up and running and people seem to be having fun with it. And uh, so I, I picked out like a 
a name for it and uh, and got the the aircraft carrier part of it dialed in, I think, and and then was interested in in trying to turn it into a, a bigger video game. So recently, I've been trying to figure out um, what is the what is a what is a design for this game as as a product that I can actually like uh, market to people and that I could potentially pitch to a publisher and, and find funding for. And um, I am I'm starting to settle in on uh, on on the aircraft carrier being your sort of base of operations. And uh, because landing on an aircraft carrier is is kind of always going to be compelling and probably a little bit harder than just landing on a big long runway. Um, and Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's true they they do always point into the wind but they don't have to in my game um i'm i'm making a video game after all but uh but yeah um so i making making a flight sim that is sort of mission focused and gives you something to do um you mentioned that you don't like hopping in and and having to like sort of design your own mission like i nor nor should you like when you play most video games you hop in and they they sort of give you they outline a a bunch of objectives and stuff like uh i would i would like my players to hop in and have like a, a bunch of different jobs uh to do and that that goes along really well with uh with something like euro truck simulator or american truck simulator and so recently i've added in uh, supply drops so you can load up barrels underneath your wings and drop those and they'll drop and parachute down to uh, a drop zone and you have to land them in a drop zone and then i also just last week added uh crop dusting um and uh so you know you can go to these different bases the idea is you go to different bases you load up different payloads and then you use those payloads to execute missions and um i need i need to to pass the game around to enough people to to verify that that is a a compelling loop for people but um i i i agree if or i i heard you saying that uh there isn't enough like mission focused in especially the civil um the civil Mm. flight simulation space and uh i think i i assume that that's what draws people a lot to like uh combat flight sims um i mean i i they're not like bloody games so i i don't imagine that it's that the violence is like a a major draw but like you you do a thing with the plane you know your plane is a is a tool you 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 get you get in yep jump in okay so i i want to go shoot these number of planes down i want to get an ace in the flight or i want to go demolish that city um or you know, factory or destroy, oh, destroy that down position it's definitely part of it i i don't think it's probably the core of it um the, the thing with military flight sims and i think what attracts a lot of people in it and it's and it is it, it it's kind of the 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 reality of the situation is the military gets the coolest toys let's be let's be perfectly honest here um if if the uh the f-14 tomcat was available to buy as a civilian aircraft every frigger would have one (laughs) that would and that would be everybody's dream goal but uh unfortunately um it's not something that comes out but the mission structure is definitely a part of it as well just it's it's not just having the coolest toys it's being able to do things with toys and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this is it, it's it 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 baffles me that the civilian space in particular because the civilian space has a ready-made environment for it. 
all the runways are in place. All the cities are in place. Everybody knows the the flight routes. Like the flight routes are public for for professional airlines. Um, mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. cargo drops. The entire world is modelled. You can fly literally everywhere. Every everything you need to build a large scale, compelling, you know, you flying Euro truck simulator is built inherently into every flight simulator that has existed you know all your yeah. euro trucks or i like, know euro trucks all your um mm-hmm. you know x-plane 10 um x-plane 11 flight simulator 10 microsoft 2020 is going to have it as well in fact it's going to have the probably the most beautiful version of it, it it's mm-hmm. always been there inherent from the word go all the right. weather systems are already in place so all the gameplay and environmental mechanics are in the only place i've ever seen yeah, yeah they still the fucking do yeah, yeah, the only place I've ever seen a, a career mode has been via mods that are a pain in the ass to try and set up because I've yep. tried to set them up. Um, yep. I, I'll tell you right now, I love my combat flight sims. I love playing around in the coolest toys. If you gave me a version, if, if Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 comes out and it has a Euro Truck Simulator build-your-own-airline mode, you may not see me flying an F-18 for 10 months, 12 months. I might I, just forget about combat flight sim for a little while. Yeah, I think it's. I, I think it's gonna. Um, I think it will. So they're Microsoft is putting money into it. Microsoft is. It's not. It's not the same Microsoft that was. Uh, the Microsoft of Microsoft Flight Sim was a pre Xbox Microsoft. It was a pre video game development Microsoft, mm-hmm. right? It was. It was much more of a professional simulation focus. It was much more of like a, a sort of a dad simulation focus, right? And then they, uh, it, it's around the time that they pushed out the Xbox and developed a games department that they put their flight simulator by the wayside and sort of abandoned when they started doing console stuff they they mm. stopped focusing quite as seriously on on pc things i think and uh that is not um that's that's not how they exist anymore uh no, so no, no, if, they, if they're yeah and like they i mean they they unveiled this game <laughs> they unveiled this game at a video game at a at an Xbox press conference, you know. So like, and they're they're putting it on the Xbox and making it accessible on on video game controls. So I I just cannot imagine a situation in which um, they as an institution have have such a uh, a great feeling of the pulse of the video games market that they wouldn't be able to see like those truck sims in particular uh and the the very very just minimal simple game loop that they have on top of like a core simulation as a reason for them to suddenly put this game onto consoles um i i imagine that they're gonna they're gonna try to make it uh compelling for people who 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 honestly could not could not care less about like uh, the starter procedure of a 737, but would definitely love to fly from airline to airline and then do all of the micromanaging of uh, uh, like the resource management of, um, of building up an airline. Like you guys are talking about, I, Mm. you know, that's as, as, as a developer, I, I feel like that's gotta be what they're doing. Yeah. I'm thinking they'd have to have that in there. It's it's obviously not something you're going to straight away. Um, and not until they're ready to show it off. But I, I, I think mm-hmm. you're right. I think it's something that they would have to put in. It's too big a thing to miss at this point, and too many, too many large scale sim developers have missed this. 
over just, the years. Yeah. There's no way they can be. Well, I think again. they're. I think they're totally focused on. Um, you know, I think they're totally focused on the existing audience, uh, and um, and and these things are big and they're expensive and they're. Uh, most of these sim developers that we're talking about are people who have existed in this space for a very long time, so they've sort of like narrowed down to a super reliable set of consumers and i think they're sort of hanging on without being willing to to take the risks of making something that might appeal to a larger audience um but also might might uh alienate their their existing audience and um that's my guess of why those why why this sort of like a more mission focused or more game focused um flight sim has not has not developed mm-hmm. it's just like uh what they assume is a risk which like somebody like me sees as far far less of a risk like i i think mm-hmm. flight is pretty compelling you know like and um <laughs> i think you can in in the same way that there's like hundreds of racing games i think we could have hundreds of games about flight and get people into them like really easily it's just uh somebody's got to take the first step and and um and make one that that does it in a deep rich way but also uh can play on a on a gamepad well one thing one thing i've sort of noticed with with any of the serious flight simulators is they focus so much on the flight simulation so much on so much energy on just getting the planes to look and feel right. Oh yeah, it's that, like plane that, porn. That they that they don't that they don't spend nearly as much time um, putting con- giving context to the to to why you're flying the plane. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you'll like DCS is the is the biggest example of it. What what do you do in yep. DCS? You, you buy your modules. <laughs> you, you'll, you'll, learn you'll, you'll learn how to fly the plane. That you, you play some of the the in belt built missions, but there's no. There's... And then you begin to troll the uh, the online services, try and find missions more. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then yeah, and then eventually you just look at their uh, you look at their sail trailers, which is just more plane porn, and you buy another plane. And the they do a yeah. very very the Eagle Dynamics folks do a, a really excellent job um, marketing so, <laughs> marketing their games because it's their marketing materials are so gorgeous that they sell their marketing materials sell uh, sell the imagination of of piloting a plane and doing a plane with a thing. But then, yeah, you hop into the game, and, uh, but the, the, you don't do your you don't do much with your plane. Yeah, the, the, there's no there's no world building in it. The, you're not totally. You're, you're not. There's no no story to follow, no no reason to fly your plane besides just wanting to fly the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, and any no reason, reason you do find, yeah, the, and any reason you do find, it has to be one that you've made yourself. I mean, this it's, and this has popped up all over the DCS forums as well. This is not anything new here that I'm right. saying. Oh, totally. um, where, where is the dynamic campaign for DCS World? Yeah. The the other thing, Microsoft Flight Simulator X Plane. What do you do? You learn your plane. Decide, okay, I'm going to fly from this airport to this. I'm going to get up and yeah, fly. It's exactly the same. Yeah, there's there's no no objective, no no nothing mm-hmm. to drive you to play it besides your love of flying. You know, deep, yeah, um, IL two is is better than the others. It is. Um, by, it is. By, it's, by, the, by, it's the reason that I gravitate to it. But by, by 
by a large margin because it's it's they they've sat there and they thought okay so we got these plans we we we've got like focused on the battle of Stalingrad so let's let's you know build build a you know the campaigns uh the or dynamic <laughs> campaigns are a fairly recent thing but they mm -hmm. they sort of they've built the world you know what you're doing you 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 know what your purpose is is it's not just a yeah let's get up and shoot down planes you you know you're flying a russian plane you're trying to stop the the germans from you know fucking your mm -hmm. shit up yeah i il2 is uh il2 is a pretty like phenomenal um piece of uh piece of like history with all of the i mean if you if you hop into their career mode and um look at the <laughs> just incredible recreation that they have of those uh historical campaigns it's it's really impressive but uh, again like we're you know we're we're sort of like we're digging into the the details of a space that is like still pretty much entirely inaccessible to anybody who's unwilling to put in um 20 hours to understand the the nuts and bolts of these things um and they're you know they're still uh, it, like even IL two, um, with as incredible, I, I IL two is the is the most interesting um, and compelling video game experience I've ever played. Um, yet, you know, I had to get I had to get fifteen to twenty hours in before like it even started to make sense to me, right? Um, and it's still like it's still way less accessible than something like Rise of Flight, which has like a, a robust series of training exercises, which has, uh, which has like, does Rise of Flight have acted campaigns? I know that Cliffs of Dover had, had a really uh, fun sort of acted campaign um, that, that again, still doesn't, uh, still is even like orders of magnitude uh, less accessible than like every other video game on the market, you know? And it's, mm. it's, uh, it is, uh, it is, you know, it's our it's, it's our it's our biggest problem. Yeah, as, it's uh, probably the key a... reason why the flight simulation space is still as niche as it is, is actually less to do with it being an overly complex thing, like like uh, many seem to think. And I, I'm willing to bet more of a case of uh, so what are you doing it? Look, yeah. Look, look yeah. At... Well, we focus on the on making the complexity um, sort of up in your face and the first thing that you interact with, um, rather than we focus on uh, making the complexity uh, something that like adds depth to the experience, but um, making the making the experience something that is like understandable a lot quicker. Mm. Well, look. Well. It's we're, we're getting about an hour and a half in, so it's about time to start wrapping things up. Um, mm -hmm. So, yep. John, John, uh, where can people get your games? Um, is yeah, a uh, they... question I've got about um, cats fly helicopters on on Steam here. It's it's listing as an early access game. Is that actually available to download and play yet, or is is it still? It is. It is available to download and play. However, you need uh, you need to go through the Flipfly Patreon. So I'm developing that game. I've been collaborating for two and a half years with a, a small game development studio here in Wisconsin uh, called Flipfly. They made uh, a game called Race the Sun is their their biggest, most popular game. 
Um, they also uh, made a game called Absolute Drift, which is a racing game, and they made a, they recently released um, a game called Evergarden, which is a puzzle game. Uh, but we started collaborating on that a couple years ago. They have a Patreon account where if you go and get into, I think it's maybe their their bottom tier Patreon account, you'll get beta access to that game. And that game is still, I mean, it's we've been working on it for a while, but like, you know, partially the studio has been working on other properties in, in that time as well. So the game is still pretty early, but um, it is, I didn't talk about it at all. Cats Fly Helicopters is a, uh, is sort of, it, it's an open world um, simulated city uh, with helicopters that have uh, reasonable physics, but very accessible uh, sort of flight controls. And there is an option to, there's an option in the game to turn off the, uh, the my simple stability augmentation system and just get direct control over your cyclic and collective and and stuff. Um, so you can you can play it as uh, a little bit more of a uh, a helicopter game, but you you sort of just fly around the city and do um, and I guess help people. Uh, there's a hoist. There's a there's a launcher that you can put on your helicopter. There's a bomber. There's a crate. There's a um, there's a stretcher and you, you go around using all of these uh, sort of machine modules that you can attach to your helicopter to do sort of wacky things, fight fires, deliver pizzas, uh, take people to the hospital, um, pick up and carry things around with your hoist. Um, it's, is, is there a cowbell attachment? There, <laughs> there's no cowbell attachment. Um, okay, you won't uh, get me in a helicopter then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cowbell attachment. Is that a, is that a thing? Uh, it's, 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 is that a real thing? It's, it's, it's more of an in-joke for dead meat. Everything needs more cowbell. Needs more cowbell? Okay. Okay. Um, um, yeah. I don't yeah, know I'll if you've I'll, seen I'll, the Saturday Night Live um, I Oh, I have. Skit. I have. Yeah. I'm it's it's, it's yeah, a complete yeah. reference to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, uh, they do use helicopters to herd animals, so I wasn't sure if, like, there is... A, I wouldn't be surprised if or you wouldn't have surprised me if you said there was like a bell that they put on the bottom of a helicopter to assist in their herding. So um, that's why I was, that's why I was curious, but yeah, it's a, it's a lighthearted game. Um, imagine. So the, the idea for that game is, is sort of like a, a nonviolent friendly grand theft auto style game with a focus on helicopters instead of automobiles. So you run around in a third person, hop in a helicopter and everything in the world is a physics object and you, um, sort of fiddle around and play around and do jobs for people and yeah it's it's pretty open-ended but you can get beta access to that at the uh patreon.com slash flip fly um and then my other game roger meatball you can get at roger meatball.com uh pretty easy and then uh on twitter uh my twitter handle is click to zoom and uh i post about my games pretty regularly i also post a lot about uh <laughs> aisle two and now i've just the last like month and a half i've gotten into finally gotten into dcs and i'm pretty obsessed with their helicopters so a lot of garbage yeah. dcs stuff too yeah huey you're, you're, you're well i don't you're have the huey i have every helicopter the except the huey you yeah, the the huey is the best one is it the Huey's best, the best one? Oh, outrightly um okay for starters you can put on, you know, paint it black and fly over a jungle and instantly everything in the world is better but if you get past that it's um it's the most fun to fly. It's pr- of all the DCS helicopters, it's the most um like it's the best way to put it, stick and throttle. 
Yeah, everything okay. else is sort of a bit, you know, you're sort of, um, you're dealing with an aircraft that has some kind of flight augmentation to actually right, keep it up right. and all of the others. The, the Huey has nothing. You okay. are grabbing on for dear life and flying it around yeah. when you get it up and it's so well modeled you get it up to speed and just like the real one the um the dash in the huey once you start exceeding about 200 knots starts shaking violently like the entire thing's going to disintegrate that happens oh, yeah, and it sounds convincingly um mm-hmm. also it's got full swing loading capability and all your um your cargo loading capability everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is for it and, and has some of the best missions for it as well so yeah yeah the, get, the, get the huey it, I mean, it seems like the helicopter that has the most, uh, the most mm. content for mm. it. Uh, I love the Mi8. I love, uh, mm. I love, I love role playing, uh, or which? How do I say this? I love role player aircraft. Um, so aircraft that yes. do specific things really, really well. And I also love like bizarre aircraft. And for in that sense, like I just love all Russian aircraft. They're they're so weird. So we're we're, we're getting insane. Insane. We're, we're, we're getting a bit sidetracked here. Um, so yeah. So <laughs> right, Roger Meatball. So, um, but but speaking of DCS, I the, there is an unprofessional's DCS server that you're running on the open beta client. That's that you're welcome to join at any time. All vehicles are available on most missions. Um, yeah, and the I I do run a lot of missions that sort of focus on ground attack so you know there, there's things for for you to fly your helicopters Sounds um great and on on that note if 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 you want to support mag so we can keep you know drinking coffee and whatnot and you know feeding yourself please do he, he ha mags has uh the mags where peace spring store which has okay boomer um shirt is your latest one i believe you've put up there <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which has turned out to be insanely popular. And if you're interested in it, it will be up for a while. I'm not getting rid of it. There will also be, there's another P51 design I'm working on at the moment and a Spitfire, which I should be finishing off in the next couple of days, providing I can get my videos in order on this end that will be up as well. I want both of those up available for Christmas because they have been popular requests for some time and I've been falling behind on them. I also, and I haven't been advertising enough at the moment because I don't have enough up there yet, do have a disc plate that will be coming up that is also going to have another P51 and Spitfire design that will be unique to just disc plate going up for those looking for something to put up on the walls. Um, Yes, that will be a thing. Uh, I will be doing a bit of expansion outside of the flight sim stuff as well into a few other sort of uh, game-inspired designs. Kingdom Come Deliverance will be having one soon. And, of course, um, if anyone would just like to support me directly, I do I do recommend the uh, the Magsware store. I love the fact that people are, are buying a design. But otherwise, I do have Patreon and Subscribestar if you would like to help support the channel and just keep things ticking along because... Uh, as you'll, uh, if you haven't been monitoring YouTube at the moment, um, as I'm probably going to talk about in probably the next couple of videos, uh, YouTube has lost its mind at this point, and um, I'm not entirely sure how viable the platform's going to be for too much longer. So I'm, I'm sort of hoping I can find ways to uh, get my money out of it so that I can still make videos on it, but not have to worry if they go up shit creek and be able to still survive so be able to still making content so anything you can do to support on this end would be fantastic well yeah i think i shield everything (laughs) well thank you for for joining us for the podcast here john 
Um, yeah, guys. Yeah, I hope you yeah, have yeah. Thank you. Uh, obviously, you're you're welcome to hang around on this after we finish the, this podcast. Um, but yep, the, this is the end of the podcast for now. So thanks thanks for coming along, and it's it's been what what we thought was going to be a, a shorter one has now been almost two hours. So. <laughs> So anyway, it tends to happen. It it, it does, but yeah, it makes for an interesting conversation. So thank thanks for coming along, John, and yeah, hope hope everyone has a good day and 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 buy their shit. <laughs> Catch you later, guys. Take care.